0: You're listening to a DM podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the new series of Heroes and Howlers. It's me, Mikey Robbins, and my mate, Paul Wilson. Hi, everybody.
1: Look, we're both still a couple of history tragics, but this season, it's not just us doing the heavy lifting. That's right, Mikey. This season, we've got special guests picking out their very own heroes. And howlers. (laughs) Yeah, we're still on the lookout for those weird bits of history that have surreptitiously changed the course of mankind. And we're still uncovering the cock-ups, those moments of madness... Have made the world what it is today but now we've got backup and together we'll be turning history
0: back to front and back again
1: hey folks paulie here having a great time on season nine great having all these new guests on we're just going to have a break for a couple of weeks so we're going to go back and hopefully you'll enjoy some of our classic episodes from the past few seasons and then we'll be back with some new guests to round out the year we're looking at the emperor Commodus, who most of us probably know uh, from the movie Gladiator, Joaquin in Phoenix, we're in the second century AD, and it's probably gone down in history as the beginning of the end, hasn't it, for the Roman Empire, Mikey? Um, and in many history books, Commodus has gone down as probably the biggest howler of Imperial Rome.
0: Yes, mate, and that's a fair call. But also, to getting back to the movie, I'm going to say that that movie Gladiator
1: it glamorizes him. He gets off lightly. The guy is. Absolutely terrifying. So we're in Imperial Rome, and everything's going pretty pretty successfully, up until, of course, uh, we get to Nero, which we mentioned in that... Eunuchs episode, didn't we? Yeah, with his mess and the suicide in 68 AD, and of course the year of the four emperors. There's Galba, Otto, Vitellius, and Vespasian. Now, Vespasian, he restores some stability. Well, that's right, he's straight back in and he starts the Flavian dynasty, then, of course, you've got Nerva and the Antonines, and this goes down as the 100 years of peace and prosperity, with the empire expanding in almost every direction in fact Nerva Trajan Hadrian Antonius Pius and Marcus Aurelius they of course are the ones that Machiavelli so famously called in his discourses the five good emperors but unfortunately what we're talking about today is not those guys it's the one who comes next yeah it's that sense of good times you sort of know something bad is about to happen let's start with
0: Marcus Aurelius Commodus' dad. He rules from 161 to 180 CE. Known as the philosopher king. Mm-hmm. Herodian said of him, alone of all the emperors, he gave proof of his learning, not by mere words or knowledge of philosophical doctrines, but by his blameless character, his blameless way of life. That's right. And also, to, you, know, you have to remember, too, his philosophy is very much rooted in the Stoics, the, uh, the old Greek Stoicism. Yes.
1: And that sense of um, well, self-discipline and denial, it didn't get passed down to the sun. Now look, <laughs> Mikey, some people have said that, you know, Marcus Aurelius wanted to restore the Republic. I don't think he actually wanted to go that far. But certainly, these five good emperors, they really do represent peak Rome. Yes. And as you know, mate, the apple is about to fall very far from the tree.
0: <laughs> now, Commodus is often is a contender for the worst emperor of all time. And we all know Joaquin Phoenix played him as that narcissist evil schemer. Mm. But he's, he's far worse than that, mate. Okay. In fact, one of the earliest stories recorded about a young Commodus mm. is he's 12 years of age. He's in the imperial villa, mm-hmm. and he wants a bath. Right. Well, apparently the bath isn't warm enough, so the 12-year-old communists insist that the slave responsible for the bath mm-hmm. be thrown in the furnace. No way. Yeah. Fortunately, fortunately, the slave manages to find a sheepskin. They throw that in the furnace, and the little fella's so pleased with the smell
1: of burning flesh, he gets into the bath. Ugh. Oh, right, okay, but the weird thing is, in 177, doesn't Marcus Aurelius make... Commodus' co-emperor, even though he's, at, he's only 16. 16? Yeah,
0: That's only four years after he's had a slave chucked in the <laughs> furnace for a cold bath. Right. And how does that go? Not so good. In fact, from very early on, we see this thing where Commodus has no interest in governance or governing or any of the great Roman virtues of philosophy. Mm. In fact, he often gets favourites to do his work, something that will carry on into his later reign. You've got people like Ceotirus. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Perinus, isn't he? Uh, and Cleander. Uh, Cleander, yes. Yeah, well, actually, Cleander... Even though he happens later, I'm going to tell the story now because it's a real good microcosm for the reign of Commodus. Clean is married to one of Commodus's mistresses, which mm. you know, it's not a small subset in ancient Rome. Right now, this guy is notorious for bribery and corruption. Mm. He auctions off government appointments. In fact. Under his tenure as being the main advisor to communists, mm. he saws off 25 consulships of Rome. Wow. Yeah, in fact, that's more consuls than at any other time in Roman history. Mm. But things go really bad for him because, well, the population is going through a grain shortage and a bread shortage. Mm. And, and, you know, Rome, bread and circuses. Mm. Well, they reckon that Cleander is manipulating the grain market for his own benefit. He's responsible, yeah. So the story goes that he's at the Circus Maximus, and a group of children start mocking him. And his response is to send in the Praetorian Guard, right, which gets really ugly. It turns into a bloodbath. He flees to Commodus's palace, begging for mercy. Mm. Well, when he gets there, Commodus is worried that the mob is going to turn on him. Mm. So he has Cleander
1: beheaded, and just for good measure, has his son beheaded as well. All oh, right, okay. And then, of course, in 180 AD, he succeeds as the emperor. In his own right, doesn't he, make it? Well, what you're saying is that's when it really goes down the tubes. <laughs> Watch, but there's this fantastic quote
0: from uh, Cassius Dio, mm-hmm. the, the uh, senator and historian, and one of the few people who actually managed to live through Communists' reign and get out unscathed. And he talks about Commodus's reign as taking Rome from a kingdom of gold to one of iron and rust.
1: So we're talking about the great howler that was Emperor Commodus, but I have to say, when I went to see Gladiator at the movies, I was going to be uh, a little bit worried that Hollywood had done a, a hatchet job on him because I'd heard, you know, they've said that he's killed his dad and seized the throne, which didn't actually really happen. No, no, man. In fact, he was nowhere near where his father was, which was campaigning up near the Danube. And also, yeah, despite the rumours, there was no actual proof that he had that incestuous. Relationship with his sister Lucilla, are there? Is there? No, mate, but for every other form of debauchery, guilty as
0: charge, and then a wagon full of then some. <laughs> okay. So let's
1: start with the sister, Lucilla. Now, her first husband was Lucius Verus. That's right. Now, this guy, he was actually the adoptive brother of. Marcus Aurelius, um, and is a co-ruler with him, wasn't he, from 161 to 169, which is a bit weird, because that means that Marcus Aurelius' daughter then marries his brother (laughs) by adoption. But but the thing is, when she marries him in 164, she becomes
0: Empress. Mm. Now Lucius dies around 169 and mate bizarrely enough he dies of natural causes. For once. (laughs) For once. So she marries Quintianus. Now here's the thing about him, he's a former consul, Mm. an ally of her father but he's Syrian, he's not a Roman noble. Not a full blood, no. No, which means she will never become Empress again, which is even worse when her brother becomes Emperor. Right, exactly. So she gets really jealous. Not just jealous mate, forget the Connie Nielsen betrayal in Gladiator and the incest stuff in the movie. Now this woman wants blood. So, in 182 CE, she and some senators plot to bump off her brother. So he's only been ruling for two years and they're already trying to bump him off. Yep, two years, mate, and already everybody's sick of him. He's clearly a psychopath. The writing's on the wall. Now, they're looking around for an assassin. Mm -hmm. Now, Quintianus has got a nephew... And guess what the nephew's name is? Go well, on. Quintianus.
1: Quintianus. <laughs> okay.
0: So the nephew's told, it's your job to get rid of Commodus. Right. So he's waiting for him behind a column in the shadows. Commodus comes past with his bodyguards. Mm-hmm. He leaps out, brandishing a dagger, and he proclaims, here is what the Senate sends to you. Here's the thing, mate. <laughs> if you're going to murder someone, <laughs> you kill them first. And, and then this- talk about it. then you talk about it. That gives the guards enough time to overpower him. Right. Now, Lucilla is immediately implicated. She and her daughter are banished to Capri.
1: Ah, not, never, a good, never, never a good place good, to be banished to in Imperial no, Rome, no. No,
0: no, no. And, and Commodus, actually, he thinks more of it. So a little bit later, he sends someone there to, to kill her. Yeah. And then, of course, Quintianus uh, uh, is killed and his family, and then
1: the murders begin. Well, that's, it. They, that's the period that we know as the purges, that whole decade of mayhem. Yeah, mate seriously it was Anyone who looks sideways, a commodus <laughs> copped it in the neck.
0: Far too many to list off, but there's one story I want to tell. Right. A guy called Sextus Conianus. Right. Now he's the son of a senator. Mm-hmm. And of course Commodus kills his father. But then he thinks, well, of course, Sextus is gonna want revenge. Mm-hmm. But before he can kill the kid, Sextus escapes from mm. Rome. But I don't know why, but apparently this kid was a master of disguise. Right. So Commodus comes up with a plan. Mm-hmm. He sends people out through the Empire
1: to have anyone who vaguely looks like him killed, <laughs> and then have their head paraded on spikes. Right. Okay. And it's not just his rivals either, is it, Mikey? Because he's married to Crispina at the time, and unfortunately, she's not going to be much longer for this world, is she? No, man. Also, too, he's got lots of mistresses. Some of whom have a great deal of power. Some mm-hmm. less so. Then there's well, it depends who you
0: read. Something between one hundred to six hundred concubines, both male and female. Mm-hmm. Before we go any further, Paulie, I want us to just set the record straight here. When you read the word concubine,
1: it's an old historian, and they
0: should be using the phrase sex slave. Yeah,
1: no, that's true. And unfortunately for Crispina, yeah, these sex slaves and mistresses, yeah, they've, they really want to see her pushed to one side, particularly one of them, isn't it? Is it Marcia? That's right. And this Marcia, she wants to be
0: like de facto empress. So she organises a one-way ticket for Crispina
1: to the Isle of Capri, and we all know what happens down there. So that brings us to the early 190s. He's been on the throne for, what now, 10 years, Mikey? And there's no-one to keep him in
0: check after the purges, after his wife's been murdered on the Isle of Capri. And look, like a lot of Roman emperors... The God obsession kicks in. Oh, yeah. And with him, it's a particular one. Her- oh, Hercules. Yes, that's yes. right. Yeah, yeah. Also, too, around this time. The statues. The statues. Well, here's the thing. In 191, Rome has a fire. Mm-hmm. So he gets to rebuild Rome and rebrand it. In fact, he renames Rome the Colonia Lucia Ania Commodiana. <laughs> right, so C- Commodus' is colony. Yeah, right. Pretty much so. In fact, the-, the-, the months of the year are renamed after his names because by this stage he's got 12 names. So the months of the year become Lucius, Aelius, Aurelius.
1: Mate, your Latin's better than mine. <laughs> okay. Lucius, Aelius, Aurelius, Commodus, Augustus, Hercules, of course, Hercules, Romanus, Ex Amazonius, Invictus, Felix, and Pius. Also, mate, he renames the Roman fleet, uh, the Commodiana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The
0: Senate becomes the comedian Fortunate Senate because, look, he's always baiting the senators. Yeah, In yeah. Fact, for a while there, he did have some popular support. That's right. Because he was seen to be anti-elite. But the statue thing, it gets out of control. The statues of him as Hercules, mm. you know, wearing the lion skin, mm. uh, to the point where the famous statue of Nero next to the colosseum mm. he has the head taken off, right. has his head put on, right. looking like Hercules, and inscribed <laughs> down the bottom is the only left-handed fire to conquer 12 times 1,000 men.
1: And is that true? He's a Southpaw?
0: Yeah, but he was a Southpaw fighter and he was really proud of this and he is the other thing too. And he'd go into against the
1: gladiators. Oh, so yeah.
0: that bit of the movie's true? Well, yes and no. Actually, it's much worse than you can imagine. Well, when he did go in... There was a compulsory chant every time he made an entrance. Mm. You are Lord, you are first. Of all men most fortunate, you win and you will. From time everlasting, Amazonian, you win. <laughs> well, I'm, dear. I'm guessing it sounded better in Latin. Yeah. I kind of doubt it. But also, too think of it as a show with two halves. Yeah. So the show would start in the morning with him wholesale slaughter of animals. Right. And not just your lions and leopards, but... Yeah heaps of herbivores (laughs) he would kill giraffes and and, and elephants elephants and he would do this from an elevated platform in the middle of the Colosseum with javelins and arrows and people there to finish them off right so he'd never get hurt well exactly but here's the weirdest story and this is another story from um, Cassius Dio mm-hmm At one point during one of these animal slaughter sessions, he decapitates an ostrich and waves its head threateningly at the Senate. (laughs) Well, according to Dio... An ostrich. An ostrich head. Well, in fact, the Senate reacted just like you. They started chuckling, but they realised that would be a death sentence. (laughs) So according to Dio, they had to chew on their own laurel leaves (laughs) to stop themselves from laughing out loud. But
1: the gladiator scenes are true.
0: Well, yes, but here's the thing too, like in the movie where he has Maximus, Russell Crowe hobbled, mm. well, it was, it was worse than that, mate. he would fight ex-soldiers who'd been wounded or had lost limbs, and quite often gladiators would fall to their knees in front of him for a merciful death, and guess what, didn't happen. Right. But here is one story which shows just what a psychopath communist was. Apparently, he had all the footless and sort of lower limbless beggars in Rome rounded up. It gets worse, mate. Mm -hmm. He then had the lower halves of their body wrapped in fabric to resemble snakes. Now, I'm assuming he was dressed as Hercules because he's using a club. Sure, yeah. He's walking around the Colosseum clubbing these poor people to death, but they are allowed to defend themselves, Mm -hmm. they're given sponges. Painted as rocks. Sponges? Painted as
1: rocks. <laughs> it's just... It's unbelievable. Because I heard about them having their blunted weapons. Oh, yes, they were fighting in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Sponges, that's pretty bad. But not just that. He would charge. He would charge
0: the Roman treasury for his appearances at the Colosseum. An appearance fee? Mate, I'm talking <laughs> 25,000 silver pieces. What? And he made over 750 appearances at the Colosseum. No way. Yeah. I mean, his performance fees alone was bankrupting the Roman treasury. Which brings us to 193. Well, yes, mate. And a couple of things happened at once here. There's talk about him actually becoming a gladiator and a consul at the same time. Right. And, and starting off his uh, plebeian games. Which, oh, yes, yeah. W- which really ticked off the Senate. Mm. But then there's another story, too, that he had plans to dissolve the Senate, which Marcia had tried to talk him out of. Mm. Well, because of that, what we do know is Marcia finds her name on a hit list. Ah. So she conspires with prefect. She's getting a ticket to Capri. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So she conspires with the prefect of Rome, mm. uh, Laetus, and Eclectus, who was her lover. Mm. So the idea is they're going to poison him. Now, some say wine, some say beef. But here's what we do know. It didn't work. He starts vomiting. Ah. So they resort to plan B. And the famous wrestler of Rome, Narcissus, is brought to the palace to strangle him. Ah. And that's how commoners dies. Vomiting and choking. Yeah. And the irony is, one of the most narcissistic men who ever lived is killed by a slave called Narcissus. <laughs>
1: Emperor Commodus, I think Mikey is right. He probably is the worst emperor Rome ever had. Worse than Nero, and worse even than Joachim Phoenix has put jail of him in the Gladiator. Thanks, mate. And here's the thing, I'm not actually finished. Once Nero
0: dies, remember we had the year of four emperors? Yes. Well, in 193 in the Common Era, after Commodus
1: dies, we have the year of five, five emperors. Yeah, 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 Pertinax, Didius, yeah, yeah, civil wars all round. And they only really end with the arrival of Septimus Severus. That's right, and I think that's why Commodus's reign in Gibbon's decline and fall of the Roman Empire, that's seen as the beginning of the end, something that Rome can never recover from. But interestingly, Mikey, it's another historian, another historian's theory that I particularly like, and that actually comes from Machiavelli. You know, we talked about him earlier on. Of course, yeah, in his discourses, he was a historian as much as a politician and a philosopher. And look, I could be wrong here, but I think he might have put his finger on something. He says that we shouldn't have been surprised by Commodus being as bad as he was, because he believes that in many ways, Marcus Aurelius tempted fate by breaking with tradition and nominating his own flesh and blood as his successor. Breaking with tradition? Yes, Maggie. You see, up until this point, all those good emperors, the Antonines, they'd been adopted heirs rather than biological sons. Just as the very first set had been, you know, Julius Caesar adopting Octavian, Augustus adopting Tiberius and so on. Okay, now I want to say I see, but... Please explain. (laughs) Okay. So remember how the Louis the Fourteenth episode we looked at the importance of progeny and having a male heir? Yeah. Well, ancient Rome was like medieval Europe, but times 10, because if you've got no male heir, you've got no pater familias, you know, that's the head of the household in Roman times. So it's not just your title, not just a king or noble or lord that you lose. You actually lost all your lands and estates. They would be returned to the Republic or by this time to the emperor himself. You you couldn't just nominate some second cousin to take over instead, and of course you couldn't leave your estates or your titles to your daughter. Well, you're right, mate, because in ancient Rome, women actually, they weren't just second class citizens. Legally, they didn't even really exist. So having that male heir, that's critical. You know, if you've only got daughters or if you can't have kids, the answer that the Roman elite come up with is adoption. And mate, you're right. I mean,
0: you have to remember, this is a time when child mortality, even for the elite class, is terrifyingly high.
1: Which would make the safe option... To adopt a young man, you know, someone who's about 16 already. We're not talking about babies here, Mikey, when we talk about adoption. Um, Now, who would these young men be? Well, look, some of them were kids from previous marriages. You know, for example, um, Livia. She persuades Augustus to adopt her son from a previous marriage, Tiberius. Right, Um, But really, it was all about trying to get the right family to cement... An alliance. So, in the same way that you might marry off your daughter to shore up your position, so you could put up your son for adoption because that will strengthen the time for the next generation. So, there's no shame in it because what
0: you're doing is you're strengthening the ties, both financially and politically. It's almost like a badge of honour.
1: Yes. These young men celebrated it. In fact, they'd always keep their old family name and that would become their nickname in their new family. So you got adopted not because your parents couldn't look after you or, or you were unwanted. Well, look, you know, sometimes with the poorer families, yes, it was just a straight cash transaction. I've got more sons than you have, and here you go, have one of mine. But really, the main driver was to try and get that political advantage here, yeah, often by scheming mothers. And I suppose the classic, of course, is Nero and Agrippina, isn't yes. it? You know? And that is really is Harsh because Agrippina says so she's already had Nero by an early marriage. She marries Claudius. Claudius already has a son, Britannicus oh, yeah, right. from his earlier marriage, but she makes sure that he's pushed aside and Nero can take over. Although I suppose since Claudius was adopted himself, and by Agrippina he was on to his fourth wife. He only had himself to blame. You know that Claudius,
0: for a quiet fella,
1: he got around quite a bit. <laughs> Well, you've got to remember, divorce rates amongst the Roman elite, Mikey, they're even worse than Hollywood. Exactly. So there you go. Mikey's right. Commodus really was worse than Yak and Phoenix in the movies. And it's only his dad's fault for breaking with imperial Rome's unique and rather peculiar tradition of adoption. And the rest is history. Any questions, any comments, just drop us a line on all your social media Twitter, Facebook, Insta, whichever you prefer. That's right, and always the same handle, at the rest is hist. The rest is hissed, and you'll find all that in the show notes. And wherever you're listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, or whichever platform you happen to use. It's always good to get your feedback. Yes, keep it all coming, lots of fun. And lots of match. <laughs> and lots of new guests to look forward to. Pauline, we've got Guest score,
0: each with their very own hero and
1: power.